We're going to be finishing up Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word, and thank You that it is alive and powerful and active. And this morning as we study together, I ask that You would make it come alive for us. Help us to see the reality that's being written about by Paul, and help us to see how it applies very specifically in each of our own lives. And so I just ask that you would be doing that in each of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Many years ago, uh, one of our daughters, she's around two, uh, and I went out for for a walk, and it was, you know, summertime, sun was real bright in the sky, and as we're walking down one direction, the sun was really bright in our eyes. We're kind of squinting and everything. And then we turned around... And all of a sudden, there was a shadow, two big shadows. And um, my daughter saw the shadow, and it scared her to death. I mean, she was jumping, trying to get away from it, and it was attached to her, and she tried crawling up in my arms. And, and, and I realized that she probably had never seen a shadow. She certainly didn't understand what a shadow was. She just saw this big black thing kind of moving around. And so it really, again, one of those things where you can't say not now. Um, you need to understand this is, you know, what happens when the sun's behind you. It pushes this out in front. It's called a shadow. Can't hurt you. Can't. That wasn't going to help her at all. She just needed me to hold her and get her home. <clears throat> in this passage, Paul makes it very clear that all of the things in the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament Jewish law and all those kinds of things, were, were shadows, and they were really great in their time, but the shadow was just a shadow, and Christ was the reality. And so let's jump in and see how he explains that. As we're looking at um, verses 16 through 19, we're going to be seeing two different kinds of things that, that he's addressing as he addresses the, the, the teachings of the false teachers. One is, is a form of legalism, and the other is a form of mysticism. And remember, the false teachers were kind of mixing all kinds of stuff together. I mean, they were heading towards full-fledged Gnosticism. They hadn't gotten there yet, but they still they took in things from Judaism and from mystic religions, and, and they, they just put this bunch of stuff together. So when he's talking here, please understand, he's, he's addressing some things very clearly that they're having to deal with on a personal level. So he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, this is a legalism that's focused on diet and special days. That's kind of where where all this is. Now, again, it very possibly came out of Judaism, but it wasn't full-fledged Judaism. These people were, uh, you know, in in, in the province of... um, Sorry, they're near Ephesus um, in Colossae. So here they are, and um, you know Judaism isn't super strong. So some of the elements came in, you know, things like maybe uh, fasting and and certain kinds of foods that you could eat and couldn't eat. And and he starts out in verse 16 by saying therefore, and and really if that goes back to verse 15 where he says in light of Christ's victory over the spiritual rulers and authorities, therefore. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. So don't let anyone have contempt for you. Uh, You don't answer to the false teachers. You answer to Christ. And that's kind of the thought that he's trying to communicate there. And he says, don't let them judge you about what you eat or drink. 
Um, it, it's, we're not under the Old Testament law. That's not something that we have to do anymore. And the Old Testament law required certain diet uh, by the Jewish people and certain feasts and celebrations. But he says, don't let anyone judge you about what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival. You know, all of those things are things that have passed on. And then, you know, new religious festival, new moon, Sabbath, all those things were celebrated in Judaism. Now, the false teachers had taken some of those things and twisted and distorted them and brought them in and were trying to make people live these things out. This was the legalistic part of all this. They were trying to say, hey, here are some things you have to do, and if you do, what's going to help you get closer to God? Now, that's not the God we talk about. That would be a God with a little g, because they they did not believe Jesus was God or, or the God of the Old Testament. And so here you've got them teaching these things and pushing these things, and and it's for mystical reasons. You know, they're they're saying, hey, uh, if you do this, well, then these other things are going to happen, and you'll have your mind more opened, and and if you do these things, you can draw closer, uh, closer to God. And then he he says in verse seventeen, these are a shadow. These are shadows. So, you know, if you want to even say that all of these things came straight out of the Old Testament when they were trying to impose them, what he's saying here is they were great in their time, but they were the shadow. Christ is the reality. The shadow wasn't something that was going to stay forever. The shadow was there for a time period, and it was really just a representation. And, and that's all that a shadow is. And Hebrews 10.1 says Old Testament Jewish law was a shadow of the good things to come. And so you've got, you've got that coming. And that's what Paul is saying here. Those things, wherever they came from, they're a shadow. But the things that really count, the reality is found in Christ. And in Christ alone. So it's found in Christ. Is Christ. He is the reality. Don't chase shadows. Don't chase false teaching. Don't chase after those things. Um, Jesus in Mark 7, declared all foods clean. Remember? They were asking him about what to eat, and, and, and he said, well, you know, they didn't wash their hands before they ate, and that was a thing of the, part of the law. And, and Jesus said, listen, what you take in isn't going to make you clean or unclean. It passes through and it's over with. And he declared foods, all foods clean. Then Paul comes along in the book of Acts. No, I'm sorry, Peter comes along in the book of Acts. And Peter has that vision where there's a sheep being let down from heaven. And there's clean animals and unclean animals according to Jewish law. And a voice says to Peter, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't, can't touch this stuff that's unclean. And it happens three times. And finally, he understands that what God was saying to him was, don't call anything unclean that I've declared clean. Again, the whole thought being the, the Old, Old Testament Jewish law for food and all those kinds of things was no longer needed. It was a shadow, and it was gone now that Christ had come. So the legalisms were brought in, and, and they were trying to force these things on people in the church and on Christians. And, and legalism has some very specific things that, that I wanted to kind of share um, it's living by a, a, a rigid code. Go ahead and put that up there, Sarah. Thank you. Um, legalism is joyless. If all you're worried about is keeping all of the rules, and it's about keeping rules, not necessarily about pursuing Christ in any way. Legalism demands uniformity. Have you ever seen a group of people that are in a cult? 
And they all wear the same clothes, and they all talk the same way, they all read the same books. And there's a uniformity that's required of, of you know, heavy-duty legalism. Um, in their view, legal or in their view, godliness is about the rules. And that's that's what a legalist would say. Um, it produces kind of a surface faith. Uh, it seldom brings about a deep pursuit of Christ, and and many times when there are lots of struggles, then it just kind of kind of walk away from it all. And then there's a shallow self righteousness. You know, there's that whole comparison. Hey, I kept the rules, and I'm better than everybody else. I kept them better than they. As a matter of fact, I went even more rigid in the things that I was doing. And so there's a, that sense of, of shallowness, especially when there's that comparison. Now, the next two verses are really about mysticism. Remember, there was that whole secret kind of religion, secret things that you would learn. And... Um, That's what he's referring to here in verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Strong words. Strong words. So he says, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility... And I was reading someone say, you know, if it's if it's something that you're delighting in, it's no longer humility, because you're saying, oh, isn't this cool? I am really humble. I pulled that one off, and, and I, you know, he says, anyone's delighting in that kind of fake humility, you know, don't have anything to do with them. Uh, and he says that goes right along with that whole idea of worship of angels. Um, don't let anyone who delights in false humility. And, and sometimes part of that would be included in some of the uh, asceticism, the real harsh practices that they did. And, and he says, and the worship of angels. So the false teachers had a whole pantheon of, of like spirits and angels that they that they worshipped, and and that you would you would kind of ask the angels for help in whatever was going on with you. Uh, you were struggling, you would go to the angels and, and understand these are the false teachers. We're not talking about the church in Colossae. So these are the false teachers, and this is the kind of thing they were trying to bring in. And, and, and Paul says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, here's an important word, don't let anybody disqualify you for the prize. Now that disqualify there is the word, in Greek it's the word where a referee would say to somebody, you just got kicked out, you're gone. That's to be disqualified. You can no longer compete. What you just did is against the rules. You're done. So that's that's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, don't let anybody who buys them into this stuff and, and is into angel worship and all this, don't let them be the person who disqualifies you for the prize. Now understand, the prize isn't speaking about salvation. It's not speaking about, okay, don't let them disqualify you from, from, from being saved. No, they're, he's, the church has, they're, they're believers. And what he's saying is, don't let anybody get you so twisted up and going weird in op- opposite directions so that you lose the reward you would have in heaven. That's why it says the word prize. <clears throat> don't let them disqualify you for the prize. And, and you know, when we think about the rewards that we're going to receive in heaven, <clears throat> for me, the best reward is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And if that's what we long for, we're not going to let somebody disqualify us by pushing us in all these other kinds of directions. We're going to continue to be faithful and obedient to the Lord. So he says, um, don't, let, don't let them disqualify you. And then he goes on to say, such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. And the implication here is that he's making all this stuff up. You know, I mean, he's, he's you know, being in touch with, with spiritual whatever, but this is not a reality that he's talking about. This is something that he's putting out there, and he goes into so much detail because, you know, he's the one that, that is putting it out there. Now, the Christian Standard Bible says this verse in this way. Let no one condemn you or disqualify you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realm, a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. So Paul is saying very, very clearly, don't be disqualified um, from pursuing the Lord and continue to move in the direction and, and, and being able to hear someday, well done, good and faithful ser- servant. Don't give in to the harsh practices of the body or the visions that they say that they're having. Don't give in to that at all. He goes on to talk about these guys. Uh, memory says that your know, spiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Verse 19, he has lost connection with the head. Uh, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Uh, other translations actually say, and they are not connected to the head. So the whole idea of being connected to the head, from whom the body uh, is supported and held together by its ligaments, grows as God causes it to grow. So he lost connection with the head. The whole idea seems seems to be here. Uh, and, and, and this is... Um, a central teaching for these false teachers, it's a defective view of Christ. You know, if, if Christ is just one, you know, kind of an important guy, but not all that important, um, and of course, you know, they, he would never be uh, a full-fledged deity, and he certainly wouldn't be both God and, and man at the same time. So, you know, they, they've got all kinds of reasons that they don't want to have anything to do with, with the head. Um, Anyway, so the, the translations, some of them say not connected to Christ, who is the head of the body. So here we are. They've lost, he's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews. And it grows as God causes it to grow. So <clears throat> don't give in to the, this defective kind of teaching. Um, you know, it, please understand these people aren't even connected to the head. They're not connected to Christ in any way. And he says Christ is the one through whom we get all of the things that we need. He, God is the one that causes us to grow as we're connected to Christ, as we're connected to the head that is Christ. Um, I came across this quote that I thought was helpful. True spirituality does not come by compliance with laws which are only a shadow, but by connection with the reality who is Christ. If we want to grow in our walk with Christ, it takes being connected to Christ. It takes being filled with Him. It takes continuing to pursue Him. Now I'm going to make a statement. And again, this is my belief. I can't show you a verse for this. But in my opinion, as I've been studying through Colossians, false teachers were not believers. They were trying to 
get people or even trying to join so they could get people. But um, I don't think they were believers. And one of the reasons is there was no connection to the head. If you're not connected to Christ in any way, um, if you're not connected to the head, then, then the body, which is connected to the head, can't have any part with you. And so, just kind of as I was thinking that through, I thought, okay, there's no way that the false teachers are Christians. So Paul is writing to believers and saying to them, be careful. Be careful of these people that are out there. Now let's go ahead and look at an implication here. Verse 18 in the New Living says it this way, Don't let anyone condemn you or disqualify you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. So it's very, very clearly stated in this translation. They are whatever they are. They're not connected in any way to Christ, which means they're they're not believers. For He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments as it grows, because God is nourishing it. So the false teachers had no part, no part in the true body of Christ. They were not connected to Christ the head, and had never been connected to Christ the head. Um, so how do how do we keep from following a false teacher? How do we keep from wandering down these? I mean, that's what Paul's writing about. Don't follow these people. Don't welcome them. For heaven's sake, don't invite them to preach at the church. I mean, that's the kind of thought that he's communicating very, very clearly. These people have no connection. Now, how do we make sure that we don't kind of slide into things that, that maybe we aren't even looking at. Um, and I think the answer to that is right there in verse 19, we need to continue that connection, continue to pursue. Now, we can't lose that connection in the sense of losing salvation, but we can certainly lose our fellowship and we can become cold and not continue to grow in, as we pursue Christ. And so that's one of the things that, that Paul is trying to get across to these people. Now, remember, Epaphras, the guy at planted the church, isn't there. He's come to see Paul, and, and the letter hasn't come back. So you've got a bunch of people who are saying, okay, so what are we going to do? we got these people out there saying these things. And so that's why Paul put down in writing and sent someone with the letter to say, let's deal with this. Because these guys are dangerous. These false teachers will take you the wrong way. And so our response to that, and I think Paul kind of hints at it here, as we need to keep on holding on to the truth, keep on holding on to Christ, keep on hanging on to the head no matter what comes. So no matter if we got doubts and fears or we're going through testings and trials, we hang on and we continue to pursue and seek to follow Christ more closely. And one of the verses that, that helps me, a couple of verses that help me with this are Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. How do, we, how do we hold on to Jesus? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's one place where it starts. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So, Fix our eyes on Christ. That's, that's where it starts. The second verse continues that and says, let's fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then it says, consider Him. Focus on Him. Put your concentration and all your thought on Him. 
Why? He endured such opposition from sinful men. So consider Him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This has been... These two verses are verses that I have gone back to many, many, many times. Things are hard. There's struggles, doubts, fears, all kinds of things. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider Him who endured His opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose faith. So how do we keep from getting discouraged and giving up? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. How do we keep on going when all we want to do is just sit down and quit? Consider Him. Focus on Him. Remember the kinds of things that He went through. And He went through those things so that you and I would not be discouraged and give up. Focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Continue to look at Him and, and seek His help and His strength. I think sometimes when we're going through hard things, we, we, we really want it to go away. And, and so rather than saying, Lord, um, I don't know what's going on here and I don't like this, but I do trust You, we say, Lord, just make this go away. Stop. You know, this is, I shouldn't have to be going through this. And many times it's those kinds of things that the Lord brings, whatever it is that He brought into our lives, it's hard for us. It's there to help us refocus. Help us to turn back and see the Lord Himself. I have an example of this, I think. Uh, a man named Des Desmond Moss was a Medal of Honor recipient during World War II. And um, his story is retold in, in uh, the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And... Um, I saw him interviewed a couple of times and, and, and just really appreciate it. He was a believer and did not want to... He volunteered to serve his country in World War II, but he refused to carry a rifle or any other kind of weapon. He said, I will be a medic, but I will not, I will not, for my own conscious reasons, carry a, carry a gun. And there's a big mess and people thought he was a baby and they called him all kinds of names and yet he still went and ended up in in fighting in World War II, and there was this ridge that they had to take. It was a couple hundred feet up, and so they had to go up the ridge, and on the other side, the Japanese soldiers were all dug in through all these tunnels and things, and they had to take this in order to be able to take the rest of, of the island. And so, with his company, he went up, and they went on the top of the hill, and they started to fight, and they were massacred. I mean, they were just slaughtering them to the point that they, they ordered a, a retreat, and the retreat was ordered leaving the wounded behind. There's no way they could get them, so they just left them behind. Well, Doss did not follow that order. He stayed. And he went and started looking for those that were wounded. <clears throat> and I mean, imagine, he's dodging the, the enemy soldiers who are out there trying to find anybody that might be alive and, and killing them. So he's out there dodging all these people, hiding, dragging people to the top of the cliff and lowering them down by rope. <clears throat> and he did this over and over and over and over again for 12 hours. The rest of the guys that are healthy are down below, and they've actually gone back to base camp, and he just keeps lowering these guys down. And after everyone, he said this in the interview, I saw that. He said after everyone, he let them down, and he was hurting, and his hands were raw. And his prayer 
was, Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. Send someone down. Lord, help me get one more. In one of the interviews that I saw, he said, he said, I should have died a whole bunch of times. But God had something for me to do. In that 12 hours, he let down safely 75 soldiers that were wounded. 75. When there was no one else left, he went down. I tell that story because in the interview I saw, he said, I love to tell the story because Jesus is the one who helped me do this. He said, it wasn't about me. I'm not the one that had the strength and the bravery to do this. I just knew there were people I had to get, and without his strength, I couldn't do it. That's focusing on the Lord Jesus. Now, that was an incredible circumstance. I understand all of that. But it's the same thing if you're going home and, and, and you know you've got all kinds of things that are going wrong that you have to fix, or maybe you've got sick kids. Whatever it is, you go home and it's a tough situation. What do you do? You put your eyes on Jesus. You say, Lord, as I go in, help me to be your hands and feet in my own family or to my neighbors who are going through this hard thing. Stay connected to the head. Continue to focus on Him. Consider Jesus so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verses 20 to 23. He says here, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And then the rules are don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. So he says, you died with Christ, and this is past tense, and it's when you became a believer, you died with him to the world. You died with him to all of those things. And, and you became a born-again Christian at that point in time, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. So you died to those old things. You were cut off from the worldly uh, ties. And, and he says, why, if you died with Christ, do you keep on submitting to those rules? Don't touch don't taste, don't handle. And, and the, what, he, what he's trying to say there is, hey, you can obey a rigid set of rules, but it, it gains you nothing. There's no value in those rules in your walk with Christ. So here, here he is. Don't give in to those things. Don't, don't be so uptight about doing these rules and regulations because it doesn't gain you anything. <clears throat> matter of fact, he says the the worldliness <clears throat> that you're trying the basic principles of the world well that's living by the world's rules by the way that the world wants us to live or or the way the false teachers want you to live and then he goes on to say speaking of those do not handle do not taste do not touch these are all destined to perish with use so these rules are all going to wear out and they're going to they're going to go away <clears throat> because they are based on human commands and teachings. These are rules that people are making up. Um, they're made by men and they're temporary, so they're human rules and human commands. And he says, don't, 
don't give in to those things. You, you've died with Christ, and now you need to pursue and live for Him, not seek after the things of the world. And verse 23 says, such regulations have an appearance of wisdom. So these legalistic people sometimes look good, and, and maybe they, they try to communicate the value of, of the kind of things they were doing. But he goes on to say they, they, there's an appearance of wisdom in their self-imposed worship. In other words, that whatever they've decided their form of worship will be or whatever it is that they're going to worship, that's something that they're imposing. It's their idea. Uh, he says, then their false humility, again, that fake humility, which, you know, if you have to kind of look and, and show everybody how hum- humble you are, you probably aren't. Uh, and it many times hides a deep arrogance. Someone who's desperately trying to, to look humble. And their harsh treatment of the body. And this is the asceticism that we've talked about before. It's the, all the harsh rules that you would impose on yourself, whether it was, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be in isolation or you're going to be exposed to hot and cold weather. Maybe in some cases they would, they would lie naked in, in the sun all day and then naked all night in the moonlight. In some cases they went to extreme things, even more than that, to self-flagellation. That's asceticism. And they did these things in order to prove that they were pure, in order to prove that they, they could do this. And it's interesting because the verse says there all of these things, the harsh treatment of the body, none of these things lack any, or they all lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Because you can do all of these harsh things. You can play games and, and, and put yourself through all these kind of hard, hard things. But when it comes right down to it, it's not going to keep you from sinful thoughts. It's not going to keep you from pursuing sinful activities. So the harsh denial of the body's needs many times inflames the desires is what Paul is saying here. So what do we take away from all this? Uh, Verse 23, New Living puts it this way, These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Very important verse when you're thinking about rules and legalism and people who may try to impose something. This is really a key verse for that. You need to remember that it isn't about trying to keep rules. It's about pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. So these things, you know, the self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment, they didn't take them anywhere. And And they just... It was, a, it was just a horrible mess that they were into. So living by restrictive rules is, is what we would call legalism. And, and that's pursuing God through rules and regulations. And um, living uh, uh, any way you desire, what we, we many times call that license. Uh, the whole idea of refusing to have any restrictions placed upon you, not submitting to any kind of authority other than your own. And then there's the thing that I think Paul's trying to get across to us, and that's the whole idea of living by grace, living in the light of God's mercy and his love for us, and vividly keeping in mind that he died on a cross for us for that very purpose. Um, it's easy, and I'm going to kind of picture this as a road, if you would, and you've got grace, and grace is the, the road we want to be on. 
unfortunately, as believers, we can swerve off of that road in, in either direction. Um, and again, now I'm talking about believers, not, not false teachers at this point. And so believers can, can be walking in grace, pursuing the Lord, and, and that's great. But legalism says, don't do this, don't do that, don't do as I say, um, you know, that kind of a thing. And then license says, oh, hey, you know, you can't put any restrictions on me. Who do you think you are to tell me I can or can't do that? And, and of course, grace is asking the question, what, what does God want me to do? And, I, and I, as I've seen this uh, worked out in, in, in life down through the years, I've seen people slide off the road into license and get involved in just doing anything they wanted to because they didn't want to have any restrictions. They didn't want to have to answer to anybody, uh, forgetting that they were going to answer to the Lord, but they kind of went that direction and, and, and lived that way. There are others that I, I knew that would slide off into legalism, and sometimes it would be switching back and forth, you know, someone that's just immature, and one day they're all this direction with the rules, another direction they're over here this other way. Uh, and, and, and legalism is about it is about the rules. It's about keeping the rules. Um, it's easy to swerve one way or the other, isn't it? It's hard to stay balanced, I believe. I think it was Martin Luther that said, uh, "Being a Christian is like a drunk man riding a horse. You fall off on one side, and you get back up, and you're just getting settled, and you fall off on the other side." And, and as Christians, I think one of the things Paul's trying to say here to the Colossians is, guys, you're hearing all kinds of stuff out there. And some people want to push you this direction into all these kinds of rules and regulations. Some people want to push you over here where there are nothing at all that you have to answer to. It, it, let me just remind you all of the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of, of the cross of Christ. And, and, and remember, continue to pursue Him. That's what he's talking about. Let's go ahead and put that, that next one up there just kind of very quickly. Legalism is rigid rules and restrictions. License is, hey, I'm going to do what I choose. And, um, and Christians can slip off into either one of those very simply, very easily. Or grace, which I believe says I choose obedience. I'm going to walk with Christ to the best of my ability with His strength, with His help. I can't do it on my own, but with Him I can walk in the way that He wants me to walk. Just... Um, I was thinking through some verses that would kind of encapsulate some of these things. And for legalism, I think Isaiah 29, 13 is fairly clear. The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. And that's the statement of legalism gone gone wrong. So instead of seeking a deeper walk with Christ through His Word, um, they make up rules. And then when that rule doesn't work, they'll make up another rule. And so they, they keep on making up these rules. And it's all about the effort and what they can do. And, and, and I think the Lord would say, here I am. Here's my Word. You know, you don't have to follow all of these rigid things that, that you're making up. Uh, remember, even in the time of Christ, the Jewish, some of the Jewish leaders had made more than what the law was. They'd added things to it. Um, so that's, that's legalism. License, I think Paul hit it on the head in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And of course, the next verse says, absolutely not, or heaven forbid. 
the Phillips translation, I love the way he put it, same verse, 6-1. Now, what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit God's grace? And in true British fashion, what a ghastly thought. That, that's it. I mean, you know, why would we think that? And yet there's some people who, who kind of, you know, Paul said there's some people teaching this. Why would we do this? So instead of seeking to know Jesus better and spending time in the Word with Him, they, they keep on sliding away. And the relationship with Christ is just not all that important to them. And then I think we've got grace. And I think the response in grace also addresses the other two issues. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and then 19 and 20. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. That's license right there, isn't it? But not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. That's the reality of walking in grace. I'm not going to go headlong into these areas and and, and get taken down in in sin in some way. I want to pursue Christ. I don't want to do anything just because I can. I want to do what's right, and I want to do what God expects, and I want to do what He's teaching me in His Word. I'm allowed to do anything, He says, but not everything's good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, but I must not become a slave of anything. And in license, that does take you down that path. Verse 19, Paul comes back and he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So you say, hey, let's go back to when you got saved. When you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelt you at that moment. Do you forget that reality? When you're out there doing these things or living in that way, do you forget the fact that the living God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you? Are you forgetting that? And and He was given to you by God. And then He goes on to say, you do not belong to yourself. You think you can do whatever you want. You can't. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, He just makes it very clear. God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body and your attitude and your thoughts and all those things. But that's what he's saying there. I've been bought by a price. I'm not my own. And so the answer to legalism is remember, we are purchased with the blood of Christ. The answer to license is to understand that we can honor God by how we live. That's the reality we're supposed to pursue. Carol and I were in Bolivia for around close to five years, and we worked with a, series, a group of churches um, that were interconnected, uh, kind of a loose affiliation, and uh, they're visiting back and forth, and you know that kind of doing conferences and that kind of stuff together, camps. Um, well, in this fairly large group of churches, um, one man became fairly prominent, and and he was a, he was very gifted. And he leaned towards the legalistic side of things and was pushing more that kind of a thing than, than God's grace. And so there was kind of a division that took place. And, and he was basically 
in charge of a group of churches. I mean, they all followed him, and, and the more they followed him, the more legalistic he became, and, and some of the stuff that, that he would say, and then we'd, we'd hear from some of the brothers or sisters who came to visit, and we'd, we'd hear things, and we'd say, oh, that's not what Scripture teaches, or that's not a good interpretation of that Scripture, and, and it just got worse, legalistic in every way, shape, and form. The sad part is that the verse we were just looking at Verse 23 came true. The man was found to be in sexual sin. And, um, you know, all these rules and rigid things that he was applying to everybody else and to himself didn't have any value when it came to fighting against the self indulgence or the sinful self indulgence. Uh, verse 23 says, says it this way although there are. Um, Although these, the rules, have a strict reput- have a reputation for wisdom. Let's go ahead and go to the next one, Sarah, please. There we go. Um, but they don't lack any, they, they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't curb self-indulgence. There's no value in these things that th- this man was pushing and teaching in the name of you do these things and you'll draw closer to God. You do these things and you'll be more godly. And, and we're, you're going to be more godly than the people in that other church. And It didn't help. So for me, the biggest takeaway from these verses was that no matter how hard you are work at it, you cannot keep all of the law perfectly, whether it's the Old Testament Jewish law or the rules that someone else makes up and imposes on you. And I cannot follow God trying to be free from any influence of the Spirit of God or His Word. So I can't, I can't go either direction, really, and pursue Christ the way I long to. And we can only live in a way that draws us closer to God by His grace. We can only stay connected and stay in close fellowship with Him, and it's by His grace. And constantly seeking to put our eyes back on the Lord, no matter what it is, we're facing. Maybe we have stumbled and fallen. Maybe, maybe we've done something we are deeply ashamed of. That's okay. We confess and we follow the Lord. We get back into the Word and we seek the help of our brothers and sisters as we continue to walk in God's grace. And we're saved by grace through faith and we have to walk by grace through faith as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your Word and thank you for the fact that uh, you have you've just given us so much and you've given us yourself and you've shown us how to pursue you and i pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here that as this week as we head into this new week that one of our thoughts in our minds will be okay i want to i want to pursue christ jesus in my life daily in some way lord help me Help me to do that, and I pray that for myself and and all of us here. Help us, Lord God, to seek after you and continue to maintain that that connection, uh, that fellowship with you. We ask this in your name. Amen.